0: substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice exists on
1: only one planet in the entire universe. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune.
0: Son, a podcast about Dune.
2: Dun dun dune! Welcome to Sand, everybody! A podcast about Dune, uh, where we discuss chapters in the first book of Dune and some movies we watched. Um, I'm Molly, and I'm with my co-host Lance. Hey, Molly. Hey, Lance. And we're also joined today by Naomi Perryman, who we're very excited to have. Lance's girlfriend. <laughs> and, yeah. And um, also reader, improviser, health coach extraordinaire.
1: Thanks, Molly.
2: (laughs) 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 You wrote us a letter a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I did. It's very Harry
1: Potter centric.
2: Yes. I was wondering if you had any other like links in mind when you sent that.
1: Well, I did think later that a more fun question would have been to ask you guys to put the different characters from Dune in their respective Hogwarts
2: houses. <gasps> Dang. Uh huh. Okay, we're gonna have to do that <laughs> at some point. <laughs> let's just do. Let's just do Paul and Jessica real quick.
0: Okay, just Paul and Jessica.
2: Well, they're too similar. Let's do Paul and y'all pick one.
0: I guess Because <laughs> I'm, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I'm just cu- curious. Because yeah. I'm just curious. Okay. Well, because I guess Paul is boring because he's obviously a Gryffindor.
0: Yeah, he's just like a bold, yeah,
2: do-gooder. brave
0: guy, do-gooder, yeah. <laughs> of course the hero is gonna be in Gryffindor.
2: Right, I mean, that's just what we've been trained to think. And, I mean, I guess he could be... No, there's no other qualities. Although I guess <laughs> I think that Hufflepuff is like the stoner house, and he does do a lot of drugs.
0: That's true, that's true.
2: Okay, so Thufur, what do you think?
0: Thufur, I don't know, a Ravenclaw, I guess? Mm-hmm. To me?
2: Yeah, yeah. A nerd.
0: Yeah, he's a nerd. <laughs> he's, like, very, like, a uh, brainy mm-hmm. guy. Very, like, focused on just, like, knowledge. And what do you think?
1: Is that because he's a mintat? Is Thu for the mintat? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's funny, though, because actually, I feel like there's an argument to be made for Paul being a Slytherin.
2: Interesting. Yeah, I'm always because... interested in a Slytherin argument.
1: Yeah, because he is... Ambitious in the sense that, you know, he's been trained from such an early age. Mm-hmm. Like, he seems, like, very motivated and self-motivated. And also, he's, like,
2: doesn't follow the rules. Well, but he follows the rules of his destiny, which I mm-hmm. I think if... There are, there are definitely Slytherin traits to Paul. But I feel like he's ultimately into sacrificing himself for a greater cause and that to me is just the gryffindor way and slytherins are essentially self-preservational you know i think sometimes in a good way
0: it depends on if he's sorted pre or post mind freak <laughs> like
2: yeah like it, it,
0: if they put the sorting hat on him i could see the sorting hat giving him like it did harry the choice of
2: mm. gryffindor or slytherin mhm
0: and pre Mind Freak, Paul might might be like, "Oh, I want Gryffindor," but after his change, he might be like, "Oh, I've got to go against the prophecy. I've yeah. got to go against what my vision says, and I've got to choose Slytherin."
2: Mm. Just because he's like alt, <laughs> he's like <laughs> in a phrase. <cup laughs> <laughs> I also yeah. like seems
1: like maybe the Slytherin could be part of his. Inheritance from his Harkonnen side.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, like Harry's inheritance from his Tom Riddle side. It kind of depends a lot on where the leadership role takes him. The other thing I think that's Slytherin about him is his devotion to Chani in particular, or like his family. He is protective of his little family unit in a way that I think is is generally Slytherin-focused. Yeah. I mean, that's confusing because Gryffindor is extremely loyal to their friends. But Slytherins, I think, would kill people for their family.
1: Mm. You know, that's really smart. Yeah. It makes me think of the Malfoys and like.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They have like deep love, but it's like really complicated. Not always good. Exactly yeah well interesting we're gonna have to that might be an ongoing series <laughs> no, I'm sorry guys i mean jk rowling's like you know kind of yeah. out yeah. these days but yeah. harry potter you know a so lives lives on maybe maybe tbd
0: but that's a that's a discussion for lightning a podcast about harry potter <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, for another day Cool. Alright, well y'all do do y'all wanna jump into movies?
0: Yeah, let's jump into movies.
2: Okay, so I watched The Thirteenth, Heat, Jurassic Park Lost World, Watermelon Woman, Watts and Black Panther documentary. So the movie I will highlight is Watermelon Woman because I really liked it. I loved it. Uh it's it was made by this woman Cheryl done in um, the 90s and it's extremely 90s uh, and it's really funny the pitch for it is she's an aspiring black lesbian filmmaker who researches an obscure 1940s black actress billed as the watermelon woman so that's kind of how it's framed she like works at a movie store a video store and she's really into movies and she was really into some of these like plantation movies but the movie is incredibly tongue-in-cheek the whole time. It has a really good sense of humor. It's quite sharp. And uh, she becomes obsessed with this one actress, as I said, the watermelon woman, and sort of goes through all these archives and interviews people who knew her. But it's not really a documentary. Anyway, it's just, it's really good. It's quirky and funny and specific. Like, it just felt like a really good movie. So I really loved that one.
0: Cool. I always wanted to see that. I never I never watched it. Sounds good.
2: Yeah, it sounds it's really pretty good. easy to find online, so I highly recommend it. It reminded me also of the movie I loved a couple months ago, The Green Beret. The Green Ray. I did it again. Yeah, you did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, The Green Ray. It was really good. I feel
1: like I know which one Lance is going to ask you to highlight. <laughs> yeah. So I'll ask you about the Black Panther documentary. How was that?
2: Um, It was quite good. It was really short, so it's 30 minutes. And it's Agnes Varda, who is a French filmmaker. And so it just kind of covers this one particular rally they did in Oakland for Huey Newton, who is jailed. He was charged with assault of a police officer, which they were disputing. Yeah, so it kind of captures that moment in time, which was similar to What Stacks, which I also really loved, just to throw that in there. (laughs) But so, yeah, she kind of interviews people at the rally and um, sees some of the speeches and gives some good context for it. And for 30 minutes, I mean it's really informative and really like gets you to the time period and places them, I think, very well in the historic narrative, especially for being so like current. Like she was, you know, a contemporary, basically at the time. Yeah, it was really good. I think it's free on Criterion right now, so. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, it was awesome.
1: It sounds really interesting to, like, watch something like that that's, like, really immersive and, like, a vignette as opposed to being more, like, a history overview or something.
2: Yes. I mean, that's what I liked about both the Black Panther and Wadstacks was that it was just, like, pretty normal people at these two events and just such a moment in time. So while, like... It's good to know all the history around it. It was really helpful. I mean, it's just really interesting to like actually see people like in that moment and talking about it. So loved it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'll ask you about heat uh-huh. because I love heat and I wonder how you felt about it.
2: Heat was really good. Okay, good. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it was like anything about violence is kind of tough, but. Mm-hmm especially right now, but the movie, I mean, God, all the actors in it are so amazing. I just, I don't know. I love the LA he kind of has in that movie. Yeah. It's so cool. And I don't know. I mean, like all the characters have such rich emotional lives too, or like these mm-hmm. like really complicated lives and you can really see each one of them and each of them and why it fuels their violence in different ways. But then it's also just a really fun, like, well-made cat and mouse movie, I guess. Yeah. 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 So, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was great. I was highly entertained. I really love Al Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just love him. Um, He's kind of
0: th- dialed up to 11 in that movie.
2: That's the way I like him, <laughs> is dialed up to 11, because I also loved him in The Irishman. Like, I just thought he was oh, looking yeah. phenomenal. Oh, yeah. So I was like i ha- I haven't really seen too many movies with him in it, and every time I see I just like I just like him. he's so cool yeah i I really enjoyed it yeah what so what do you like about it?
0: The staging of everything is so well done mm-hmm. the like the tempo of it, like you can really feel the build up of that movie, like you can feel like just the the lead up to to when it's fast paced, when it's slow paced, like you can feel that like build and that release. And then obviously all the things you said, like the actors are all incredible, amazing. There's something I just like about this weird exploration that Michael Mann does in Macho Dudes. Like totally. there's just something about that that I just find fascinating, like just like to look into their lives and just see these like, these guys all just like be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's, there's shitty dudes, but let's like, they're being so cool at yeah. being shitty dudes.
2: Totally. I mean, Robert De Niro was, like, really excellent and sad in a different yeah. way. I think his goatee made him really sad. <laughs> <Yeah. that. laughs> Something about that. Um, I also love, so, I, so of the two Michael Mann movies I also saw, Manhunter. Mm-hmm. And I love all the houses he has in them and, like, his sense of style. And uh, there was some line in, the, in Heat where the guy was, like, my, like, f- stupid fucking postmodern I don't know, bullshit uh-huh. house or something yeah. like this. And I had been admiring the house the whole time, but I loved that he was like probably aware of like what that house meant, like what it indicated as their type of person. And I love that. I just think he actually knows style and why it like builds character. So I I, I like that. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, the locations are always really good. Mm-hmm. I I think he's really good at locations. So Naomi and I have essentially the same list. Yes. there's two that I watched without her, and I don't think you watched any without me, right?
1: Mm, um, no.
0: No, you just watched a little bit of uh, Bojack Horseman, and
1: I did. I finished Bojack Horseman, and I watched um, a bunch of Pin 15. Yeah. Oh
2: yeah. Mm.
0: So we watched Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park Lost World. Mm. We watched Monsters Inc. This documentary, Scream Queen. We watched another documentary, I Am Not Your Negro, uh, another documentary, The Kid Stays in the Picture, and we also watched The Muppet Movie, and then I watched Psycho 3 and Star Wars The Force Awakens.
2: I've <laughs> yeah. been talking about that movie a lot, so. Or have we been talking about that one? <laughs> We've been talking about The Last Jedi. God, I lose all my cred. Okay, so anyway, so why don't you each pick one to talk about and then I'll ask you about one.
0: Okay, you want to go first, Naomi?
1: Okay, yeah, sure, I'll go first. Hmm. Monsters Inc. <laughs> 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 nice. <laughs> yeah, it. I was like, this movie holds up. Oh, cool. I thought it was really funny, and um, like all the characters had like you understood their motivations, and they all had like emotional reactions to each other and stuff, which I always think is super cool in any kind of movie, I guess. I don't really know what else to say about it. I feel like most people have probably seen this movie by now. <laughs> but I also feel like it walks that beautiful Pixar line of like being entertaining for children, but also like funny for adults.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I sound like I'm like plugging Pixar right now. <laughs> <laughs> no
2: it's great. great movie but yeah, of-
1: it was. it. We watched it too, like on Saturday morning before we went to the march. Mm-hmm. And uh,
2: I just like it. Like,
1: literally felt like it was, like, lifting my spirits. I don't know.
2: There's a certain shade of paved road that's, like, very light gray, almost pink. And then with the yellow lines, it always looks like when Randall gets his, like, life sucked out of him through his lips. And <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, so I I often have his image in my head. <laughs> And I hate that part, actually. I hate when he, it's so gross. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so cute.
0: So I watched, yeah, I watched Scream Queen. It's called, the full title is Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, Mm -hmm. which is a documentary about Mark Patton, this guy who is in, I don't know if you've ever seen the second Nightmare on Elm Street movie. No. Which is like. Is kind of known by a lot of like Nightmare on Elm Street fans as the worst one because it was kind of this rushed movie. Wes Craven did the first one, and he's of course a visionary director. And then they rushed the second movie, and it's this pretty ridiculous movie. But over time, it's been embraced by queer culture. Oh, cool! And a lot of people realize that there's this kind of allegory or subtext about about being a closeted gay in in the eighties mm-hmm. in the movie. And the actor Mike Patton sorry, Mark Patton, Mike Patton is a singer. He <laughs> the guy that played the main character was in the closet at the time. And after the movie came out it kind of ruined his career because it was seen as so bad and it kind of like just really messed him up. And mm-hmm. then a couple of years ago this documentary came out about the Nightmare Helm Elm Street series and it kind of revealed this like new fan base. And so he decided, oh, okay, I can embrace this and, like, face it. But he still wants to face the screenwriter who right. had essentially said he did not intend it to be gay and that it was his fault that the movie was seen as gay.
2: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, and so...
2: <gasps> That's so interesting.
0: It's very, it's very interesting.
2: Yeah. And it's
0: also just about, like, his you know, fault. like...
2: God. <laughs> yeah. Awful.
0: It's also just cool to, like, see... A movie get rediscovered like that, mm-hmm. like just you know, to see this like this this movie, it's like seen as like this shitty movie get like rediscovered by a new fan base. I know, it's cool.
2: It makes me want to watch it. Uh,
0: honestly, the second Nightmare on Elm Street movie is really fun. It's mm-hmm. it's not a great movie, but it's really yeah. fun to watch.
2: Well, that's all I want from a horror yeah. movie. What do I need yeah. a great? I never <laughs> I never want a great horror movie. Honestly, <laughs> okay. I just want like. Drag me to hell or whatever. Right. And then I do want to ask what y'all thought of Jurassic World. No. Lost World. The Lost World. Lost World. World. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Do you
1: want to go first?
2: Um, sure.
1: It was okay. <laughs> okay. You know
2: what? Let's, let's grab this. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. It's just fine.
0: Yeah. Well, um, we we, I, we had just watched the first one. The first one oh, so much better the than the one, second one.
2: Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well yeah, I guess so I did fall asleep for quite a bit of The Lost <laughs> World <laughs> it's with these these movies. Um, but I can't I was surprised and remind me if this is true of Jurassic Park that they did the exact same like pull something off of a cliff
0: the car goes off of the cliff in the first one, too. Yeah, but there's not like a hanging off of the cliff mm-hmm. in, the car, in the vehicle. Yeah. But they're very I similar scenes. <laughs> no, they're cool. very similar scenes. Because it's in the rain.
2: Mm-hmm. There's a T-Rex. Half. Yeah. yeah, there's
0: a T-Rex. <laughs> there's someone going to the bathroom. There's also two dinosaur <laughs> scenes where someone's like going to the bathroom and they get attacked by dinosaurs.
2: How could they possibly repeat scenes about, di- like, I don't understand that.
0: Get some new dinos.
2: <laughs> yeah, some flying ones. <laughs> Drop yeah, them totally. on you know a, a rocky terrain and see them splatter. <laughs> I, don't know. I would, yeah. They're they're pretty good. They're fun. All right, time to talk about Dune. <laughs> 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 We're actually, yeah some brutal brutalness happens right away
0: we are going with the first four chapters of
1: book Three.
2: Oh wait 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 i gotta ask hey, hey naomi what do you think of dune so far
1: oh yeah oh oh i mean i i love it i've been like kind of devouring it and so i set it aside for a while because i didn't want to get out of sync too out of sync with y'all um oh. yeah just because it's fun mm-hmm. um and uh Yeah. No, I really like it. I can't remember if this is like the third or fourth time that I've read it, but it's been a long time. It's been a long time since I picked it
2: up. Dang. Well, how did you come to it initially?
1: I really don't remember. I have these like vague recollections of being like 19. I was living on the sofa in my mom's efficiency apartment and reading Dune, but I Don't really, like, remember too much else about that
2: period of time. No, that's a good snapshot. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you've read it so many times. I'm excited. So, yes, we are starting on chapter one of book three. We start with a quote from the Irulan where we learn a little bit more about Count Finring, who had a negative effect, I guess, on the emperor. Is that what you got from it? I don't know. It sounds
1: like he was a really good friend, but he didn't or he didn't follow like a direct order or mm-hmm. something that the emperor asked him to do.
2: Oh yeah, it actually does sound like he was a good guy. I don't know. I can't really put my finger on Fenring yet. Except my impression of him is that he he's what Baron Harkonnen wishes he was a little bit. Like he's very hmm. kind of efficient at everything that the Baron says he can do, but honestly, in these two chapters, I'm surprised we haven't said this before, but also not because it's not, like, great to bring him up, but he was being extremely Trumpy in these chapters, I think. I just could not get, like, a Trump <laughs> a Trump vision out of my head. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we open, and he's uh, talking to Nefud, the stoner.
0: <laughs> he's Yalkin. feeling very grouchy, and <laughs> Nefud is just like man what come on (laughs) dude
2: he's in a samuda stupor
0: yeah (laughs) he's always seems out of sorts like he's (laughs) just just like
2: like, (laughs) oh man you're harsh in me
0: The so Baron's like, haven't I always told you to do this and do that? And why didn't you do it? And he's like, but, uh, come on. Come like,
2: on, Baron. I'm, you're my guy, dude. <laughs> There's a part where he says, and have you always anticipated dangers to my person? And he says, such has been my only desire, my lord. <laughs> And then he's like, then where's Fade? And he's like, my lord? <laughs> 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 he has no idea. He's so yeah. funny.
0: I feel like I imagine him just like in his room at night going, oh, I wish you would just fucking kill me. I know he's going <laughs> to kill me. I wish you'd just fucking kill me.
2: Yeah, he's got major like Keanu Reeves energy to me. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Keanu Reeves would make an excellent food, I think.
0: Yes. Yeah, he the Baron's like throw like just like throwing orders around, getting all pissy, and he has just realized that Faye Routha has essentially put a hit out on him, has attempted to take his life. Right. We get a lot of gross sex slave stuff in this one.
2: Yeah. This chapter is real nasty. It's
0: real yeah, it's real rough. Especially, especially the end. Especially, the it, end.
2: Uh, yeah. Especially, I mean, I just wrote disgusting. <laughs> yeah, a <laughs> bunch of exclamation points. I was pissed off.
0: Yeah, he believes that that Fade put put a needle inside the thigh of one of the I don't know what else to say. It, like sex slave
2: right. boys
0: mm-hmm. that he had in his chambers,
2: which he did.
0: Right, right. he totally did. Yeah, he
2: totally did. Yeah, and then Fade just—they're both like stupid. But they both are kind of trying to trick one another into letting the other live. Or, I don't know, or, like, get past it. Like, be on each other's good side again. Right. When it's really, like, yeah, obviously you both don't care about anybody but yourselves. So you're not really in danger right now (laughs) of each other. Like, even though you've betrayed one another, the Baron is not going to kill Fade. And Fade... Well, I guess Fade might kill the Baron. I don't
0: know. Well, he already tried. He tried. <laughs> but the Baron essentially just like, he decides to have two guards killed, right? Because he right. believes that they're moles, that they are like feeding information.
2: Moles. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then, yeah, he has a discussion with Fade and essentially tells Fade, if you stop trying to kill me, I'll eventually step down and you get to be Baron.
2: Mm-hmm. And you might even get the Empire,
0: Right, right, yeah, he suggests that he's next in line to, like, hit the yeah. Empire.
2: And Fade's like, really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> they seem like two characters from, like, Game of Thrones, if they were just stupid. Uh-huh, like, yeah. Just, yeah. like, they both think they're, like, really smart and plotting, but just idiots being played. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and, like, by their themselves, basically. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Thufur's playing them, but at the same time, it's just, like, yeah. They're playing they're playing each other.
2: Yeah, so that's basically kind of what happens. They go back and forth. Um I mean, I got pissed off when I thought that Hawat had warned the Baron of the attack. That's what he says at some point. Like that he's like, "Fade, see I I knew the whole time that you were going to kill me. Aren't you impressed?" And he's like, "Oh, but Hawat warned me." But mm-hmm. Fade doesn't have to know that. I'm glad we get a little Hawat redemption coming up because, I mean, things really didn't look so good for him. Right. And they both kind of talk about Hawat, call him a dangerous toy. And then we find out, so it, it does, we kind of are finding out that it's a few years in the future. Mm-hmm. And, We're getting hints. uh huh, And that they have Hawat under this poison system where mm-hmm. they could not issue an antidote and kill him if they wanted right. to. But they don't. They they clearly know he's their only asset right now.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And then it ends with, <laughs> it ends with the Baron forcing Fade. Yeah. To go and murder all these sex slaves.
2: And it's framed almost. I mean, it's phrased almost like he's like getting a detention or something. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like you're in time out, Fade. Go murder like all these women.
0: And I just wrote down, I understand painting someone as evil, but I feel like this moment is maybe a bit much. He,
2: like, yeah,
0: he's already reprehensible. We already know he's a, a terrible person. I don't it know was... that we need to have him order, loosely order his nephew to go no. murder by hand all these sex workers. It's like,
2: horrifying. I yeah. mean, it makes no sense. Like, it's it's just, a, it's too much. Yes, it is too much. It's like, he doesn't feel comfortable with him just being... Ruthless and stupid, uh, which was quite enough. We don't really need all these like yes, and then he'll murder by hit, like strangle these women. Woo, like you know, that's an evil guy. And we're like yes, we know. <laughs> Obviously, he's evil. Like it's a little too much, too much showing or whatever. I don't know. Um, I wish he scaled it back in many directions because I think the essential evil of him is his selfishness and his ignorance and his brutality and mm-hmm. you know all of those are represented in a much more sophisticated way
0: yeah did you have any thoughts on that chapter? chapter
1: yeah i feel like it's like doing a bunch of things to illustrate like the culture of the Hargons.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: like exactly what you said molly like that brutality and like the manipulation and also sort of like like this lack of relationships and that every relationship is like founded on your ability to manipulate someone into doing what you want them to do, or trick them into doing what you want them to do. And I feel like having Fade Rotha kill all of, like, the slave women that maybe he's presumably formed some kind of attachment with at the end is, like, the Baron's way of reiterating of, like, no, we're sociopaths, dude. Like, <laughs> but yeah, but then, like, the stupidity of the Harkonnens is that they play this game that they've invented, and they assume that the rest of the world is like that, and
2: that's what uh-huh. everyone's like, but it's not. Totally. That's totally it. It's like they're always mimicking something that doesn't exist, and it's totally depraved and evil. So, like, whatever they're mimicking. Yeah, I love that. I think that's totally true. Oh, especially about the relationships, like, being founded on that thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Then we uh, we have a chapter between Baron and Thufir. I don't know. This, this chapter is a lot of, like, it's plotty. Like, it's a lot of, like, let's let's talk about what the Emperor's plan is or, you know, what he's doing. Yes. And I kind of zone out on those. That's just
2: the Hawat. I mean, that's what I dislike about Hawat more than anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's just so pedantic. <laughs> Every chapter with him is, like, what? Like, oh, okay. Like, so much scheming.
0: Huat compares Seleucus Secundus to... Or he he calls out that Seleucus Secundus is the training center for the Sardaukar, which I think we had already kind of heard. And then he mentions that he thinks the Emperor had House Atreides destroyed because Leto had fighting forces that were as strong as the Sardaukar, and he felt right. threatened. And then Thufir suggests that the Baron pull all aid From Raban, so that Raban oppresses the people more and Arrakis turns into a new Seleucus Secundus.
2: At the beginning of last episode, I said that I thought Sardaukar were cops, and there was a part where Dufer says, The recruits come to believe in time that such a place as Seleucus Secundus is justified because it produced them, the elite. The commonest Sardaukar trooper lives a life in many respects as exalted as that of any member of a great house. And right before that, he says that they'd promise them rich living, beautiful women, fine mansions, if they like did all the killing and stuff after mm. being on a prison planet where they're only 60% or no, 60% die or something. Like, yeah. The, the mortality rate is above 60%. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's because I'm thinking a lot about prisons right now that it felt very relevant to our relationship to both prisoners and military or law enforcement in certain ways i guess like where it's this like really grueling training that kind of promises american things like big houses and beautiful women right and Mm -hmm. says you're part of the elite because you like suffered so much (laughs) right through this intense training it was a little it creeped me out yeah. But it was good. I mean it was like, okay, that's interesting.
0: I mean this is a short chapter. My one note was that even if Thufer is playing the Baron, yeah. it's beyond fucked up what he's suggesting.
2: Mm-hmm. Like to
0: oppress an entire people so that they become better warriors and to be like if even if you're just like, oh I'm playing against him, to suggest that he oppress people further is really fucked up.
2: Yes. And I mean, I just always imagine Hawat sitting back with his hands on his belly, just like, you know, (laughs) twiddling his fingers and being like, what you need to do is oppress them further. (laughs) And it's like, he's annoying. Yeah, I couldn't totally, I don't know, I couldn't wrap my head around his game exactly. Other than maybe this idea that he like, by encouraging him to abandon Raban... He was also maybe encouraging them to pay less attention to the Fremen. Did you get mm. that at all?
0: Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I don't know that his plot necessarily shows up here. I don't think his hand is shown in this chapter.
1: Just hearing you guys talk about it, I feel like I get annoyed, too, with how, like, especially how he just is constantly, like, Jessica did this. But I also wonder, like, how much of him being like, yes, the answer is more oppression is him kind of telling the Baron kind of what he knows he wants to hear mm-hmm. to like keep himself ingratiated to a certain extent. And then him like suggesting that he remove Raban sort of infers that Fade Ratha would be put into power. And he's at this point like positioned himself to potentially yes. have more control over Fade Ratha.
2: He's never really been around Raban. Totally. That's a really good read. I mean, I do think that he is... I kind of was more on Hawat's side. In the, I was interested in what he was doing, and it did seem like he was still had his allegiance to the Atreides family um, and figuring out a way to do that. I don't think that he's really that interested in oppressing <laughs> a bunch of people <laughs> or making this like hardcore army for the baron. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I like your read, Naomi, for sure. And totally true. He does have more explicit power over Fade. And I definitely thought it was good of him to be like, back off of her you know, hey.
0: Right. I wonder if he just is expecting this to just fly in the face of Baron.
2: I did like it when he was like (laughs) revealing to him how many Fremen there probably were. Because the Baron was like, oh yeah, there's probably 15. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) That part was really funny. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it's for 10, 15. <laughs> Dobbs, he's like, 5 million.
0: <laughs> Which is just, you're just like, yeah, it's a planet. Like, what, you think that, like, it's a whole planet. You think 15. this is just like a, an island?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's like, small potatoes. This easy peasy. They also call Count Friendring um, a poppin' jay. Which I like. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Pop and Yeah, he got mad at Baron for talking to Fenring.
2: Oh, yeah. He gets really mad at him because he can't remember <laughs> anything that uh, he said to the Count. He's, like, really frustrated with him. And then the Baron gets mad at him. This was Trumpy to me. The only time Hawat kind of pushes back is when he's like, you need to give me good information. This is not good information. And the Baron says... Slowly, the Baron composed his features. When the time comes, he thought, I'll remember his manner with me. Yes, mm-hmm. I will remember. Which is very, very Trumpy. Where it's just mm-hmm. like, that guy was, you know, <laughs> told me I was an idiot in the paper and I'll ruin his life mm-hmm. for that yeah. later. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Just petty.
1: I just wanted to say at the end of that chapter, uh-huh. I feel like there's like this big thing where he's talking about the Friman battle tactics. Yeah. And how they remind him of himself and of Idaho. And it's kind like, of like dot, dot, dot. Yeah. SMR. And and he, like, doesn't think to, like, even go so far as to think, well, maybe Paul is alive because he just, like, seems like he's incapable of, like, getting there. But he does sort of, like, he's sort of, like, puzzled or he's considering this piece that doesn't fit into his puzzle.
2: Yes, it's because, I mean, this is his Jessica problem. Like, we had Mia on and she was saying that he has, like, a programming issue in his brain where he started with the wrong assumption. And so now this isn't fitting in his program. Like, if they all survived, Jessica being the evil witch doesn't exactly compute. And so he kind of won't integrate it, even though he's, like, subconsciously absorbing that information. It's, like, mm. pressing at him, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, you know. totally. Yeah.
0: All right. So yeah, we jump. We jump to the next chapter. Paul's like super spiced up.
2: Yeah, this earlong quote, by the way, is turnt It rocks. You know, it's all about patterns of the universe, but that you should be aware of. Pa- like, beware of patterns because too many. If it's too perfect, then you have death because there's nothing but a. You know, there's nothing new in it. Contains its own fixity. Wow, that's great. I was impressed by that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, so he had a real spicy breakfast. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he's trying to get a grasp on reality. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. It's very expository. But it's a cool way to do exposition uh-huh. because we learn about what's happened before now because we're, we're experiencing Paul try to figure out if it's happened yet or if it's already happened. Mm. So we're getting glimpses of both future and past, but like kind of filling in. And he kind of like reminds himself, okay, that already happened. So he lets the reader know like, okay, this is what's happened since since we last saw Paul. So uh, I think that's a really cool way to kind of ex- find out what happened.
2: Yeah, I love that. I think you're right. It's like a really clever way to do that. Yeah, we find out that he has a son named Leto 2. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, I, is it not Leto? I guess Leto 2 is, is that what you call it?
2: No, I think it's Leto the 2nd, but I like, I read it. And I thought Leto 2, huh?
0: Yeah, that'd be yeah. funny if it was Leto 2. T-O-O.
2: Leto <laughs> <Lido>, comma 2.
0: <laughs> yeah, we find out what we assumed was going to happen. Jessica is a reverend mother. She's a little concerned about his role with a Fremen. People are freaked out by Aaliyah.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was so cool that he had, like, where the future felt like memories. I mean, that's, like, very cool. hmm Yeah, that he could, he would be like, I don't know that that's happened yet. But it does It does happen. It's as real as anything. We find out that he, like, shoved his father's skull into a rock somewhere. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is cool. He found the remains of his burning father.
0: Yeah, that's insane.
2: That's insane. They picked up the skull and somehow crushed it into a rock face.
0: Oh, I guess I kind of thought there was like just a, like a little, I thought there was like a little cubby in the rock.
2: Well, he's, yeah, he says, I enshrined the skull of my father in a Fremen rock mound overlooking Hard Pass.
0: Yeah, that's why I like figured it was like enshrinement. He just like kind of set it in a rock mound. <laughs>
2: I thought he was <laughs> just shoved like- it in. It's <laughs> <laughs> like ching, and all the rock kind of like forms around him, crystallizes, and then there's the cool, like, skull, <laughs> yeah, like, shr- shrouded in crystal.
0: I mean, that's a more rad vision for sure <laughs> yeah, than him just cool. setting the skull down at me and go like, I hope that's yours, Dad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> My father was here. And all the firmen are like, dude, uh, we just burned that guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wonder if he saw the tooth and he figured out what happened. So, yeah, we we also find out that Paul is, like, prepping to ride a sandworm. To take lead of, of a sandworm.
2: Yeah, so, okay, so here's where I get confused. He's having this, like, very... Um dreamlike state Mm -hmm. where yeah trippy where everything is kind of coming in and out and then it's like he enters into a memory that is the present where chani Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. supposed to be in the south but she's sudden she's here with him
0: yeah that part confused me too because he's like definitely like okay i know what's going on chani is in the south with my mother and then chani shows up yeah, I think she's kind of surprising him. Like, she's like, look who's here.
2: Oh, okay, okay, okay. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's like, I took a midnight, I took a red eye, baby. Yeah. Because not,
0: not to, not to like, jump ahead, but in the next chapter, Jessica does mention that Chani's yes. on some kind of secret mission, which right. suggests that she just, like, just got there.
2: I, for some reason, I had it in my head that she had, like, shoved her head into some kind of vat where, like, you can astral project. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> but this is, it's more clear-cut than that. <laughs> to surprise him on his big day. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, because she's going to act as Sayadina to help him through his journey with the worm. And they they do a little back-and-forth cute, like... Yeah, well, I have to be professional. I have to be your Sayatina.
2: Yeah, I mean, this dream state that he's in is really interesting. What did you kind of make of it? Because he says, I mean, okay, it's like the part where he's talking about Alam al-Mithal, the world of similitudes. It's not a place where he can say, "I I am because I am here. It's like he has to transcend being here. Right. Does that make sense? Like I don't know. Like it's it's like he has to conquer oh he says that later too, where he's like, I had mm-hmm. to conquer my inner eye. Like in the right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I see the part that you're talking about right here. He wondered if it might be possible that his root spirit had slipped over somehow into the world where the Fremen believed he had his true existence, into the Alam al Mithal, the world of similitudes that metaphysical realm where all physical limitations were removed. This Actually, this part's really cool, where it says, in the landscape of a myth, he could not orient himself and say, I am because I am here. Mm -hmm. It's almost like he's like, Alam al-Mithal is like the myth version of his story. And like, Mm -hmm. because he is aware of his own future, he is aware of his story and his myth in a way too. But he can get lost in the future. He can get lost in, like, this myth. And he's afraid he'll lose his ability to, like, come back to his body.
2: Oh, that is so interesting. Yeah, because, well, now I'm remembering that there is, like, a pretty, I think, semi-famous Frank Herbert quote where he's talking about, like, his idea, his conception of historical figures, like, mostly bad but great, like Mussolini or Stalin or um, Hitler and how they had a sense of their own myth. So I think that's that idea, basically, that they can look into the like, grand scheme of everything and see their myth and then act it out accordingly. But it's very human and sad to think you'd get lost in that, you know? And then, yeah, we kind of go to an, a memory of him and Jessica debating about religion because Jessica's really concerned that Paul is overusing religion. Mm -hmm. and tying it too much to this political goal that they have um and it is surprising that paul went there so fast because he was so reluctant to embrace something wild like that
0: yeah i mean i i get the feeling it seems like that paul is pretty much just always wrestling with that because he's almost always asking himself like saying to himself oh, I don't want this outcome. This outcome leads to jihad. Mm -hmm. And then he can say, I can see no other path. And so he makes this the next choice like that leads him towards jihad. Even though he doesn't want to be, he's being forced into this, you know, religion very, very quickly. And I think that Jessica wants, I think she has like kind of in her head that, oh, we can go back to Caladan one day and we can live the way Atreides should live. You know, and you're you're a duke, and, you know, I'm a duke's mother, and, like, we get to live this royal life again.
2: She's very uncomfortable with the spirit of it all. It's surprising, but not that surprising because the Bene Gesserit power is all about sort of being able to have control over that non-tangible, ephemeral sort of thing between people. Um, emotions and intuition and things that go unsaid. Prophecy, things like that. And what Paul has is something much more mysterious (laughs) than that, really, and a little bit harder to control. And Paul repeats what Hawat said about religion earlier, about, like, why they should quash it. No, no, no. He says that they should encourage it because it, like, distracts them, basically. Oh, I meant to say that earlier because it is interesting that Hawad said not to quell it because they'll get their distraction out of religion. And really, their power and all the sort of real uncertainty is coming from this Muad'Dib figure, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this prophecy, which, which is going to kind of give them a real boost so it's interesting. I mean, that's such a typical thing to say, like, oh, the religion is the opiate of the masses, you know, that old quote. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's really not. <laughs> it's kind of like this, the supercharge.
0: So it essentially, like, ends with him ready to hop on the back of this worm, and he sees it, and it's much larger than was expected. So- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we're robbed of getting getting to see him ride the worm at this I point. I
2: know. <laughs> Such a bummer. I want to hear his like personal account of being like stoned and riding this worm.
0: <laughs> Did you have any other thoughts about this chapter?
2: Yeah. I really like this little
1: nugget of uh Fremen pillow talk that we get, mm-hmm. between Paul and Chani. He's like you told me the words of the Kitab Alabar. He said, You told me, woman is thy field, go then to thy field and till it. She's Yeah, it's pretty hot. It's pretty hot. It's pretty hot maybe to like tell like your dude, like Tell We're me. gonna conceive a baby right now. Is yeah. that
2: hot? I mean, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think it's at the primordial level, yes, it is hot. <laughs> I mean, I'm always uncomfortable thinking about women as a field and men as having seed. You know, it's just icky. Major ick factor. It's pretty Old Testament. Way, way, way.
0: It definitely Um, also, like, lends to the idea, if you get too deep into it, of, like, a a man owning a woman. Like, a a farmer owns a field.
2: Right. And he's in
0: charge of what grows there.
2: I mean, let's not even get into how it influenced our whole land-owning culture, (laughs) <laughs> Which is backwards? Okay. <laughs> um. Uh. <laughs> but yes, I mean it is. It's an interesting. It's. I was surprised that that was in there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like her response.
1: She says, "I am the mother of thy firstborn," because it's kind of like they're trying to like work out this new kind of professional relationship, almost where mm. she's like the Cyadina and he's the new initiate into this mm. ritual that they're doing or whatever. I Is he know.
2: the one that says that about women?
1: He says it, but he's quoting
2: Chani having said right. it to him before. Yeah. I know. And I do love that she counters that with, I am the mother of your firstborn. It's very declarative and takes back. Be- Cause before it felt very passive. Like a woman being a field to tell feels extremely passive. Mm. Um, but then, like inserting back, like this idea of motherhood, which is an extremely active, like f- you know, creative space, is is really cool. Yeah. So it's kind of a nice exchange.
1: Otherwise, I was wishing that I understood more about like what they're saying when they actually start the ritual and they have like the mm-hmm. the statements that they're making.
2: Was there one that you remember?
1: Yeah. So it starts with Stilgar... And he says, they denied us the hajj. And then Paul yeah. responds, who can deny a Fremen the right to walk a ride where he wills? But they're using all these words that I'm like, are mysterious to me.
0: Well, hajj is in the glossary. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's like a spiritual, spiritual journey, right?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, the hajj is, um, is like an Islamic tenet. It's a mm. it's a pilgrimage. um that yeah. every Muslim has to take
0: mm. yeah. at one point in
2: their too. lives. Right, so it is It is interesting. It's kind of like, I mean, I think this goes back to, we were kind of talking about how um, like, the diasporic nature of the Fremen <laughs> last time, where they don't really have a homeland. So they denied us the Hajj, kind of feels like it speaks to that, where it's like they're not given the opportunity to make the spiritual journey as it's supposed to be. Because they're being oppressed. It is cool that that is countered by their conquering. It's cool, but also maybe not cool. Because, I mean, if you're, like, really thinking from the worm's perspective. <laughs> maybe they're <laughs> oppressing the worm. Um. <laughs> I think that that might be the tie-in. Is that they found some spiritual religious freedom by harnessing the worm power. Yeah,
1: I may- I wonder if, like, part of that diaspora that you're talking about is because with well, the freemen like weren't there wasn't their homeworld destroyed mm-hmm. like, aren't they from okay they're like from another planet
0: well we're we actually dug into that in our was that the last episode sorry uh-huh. i'm kind of behind and it seems like they're they're essentially from earth
2: mm. they're from earth and then they went to um two other planets before they mm-hmm. including seleucus secundus and bella Tagus. That was the other one, I think. Um, Yeah. And both they were sort of basically chased out of because of persecution. I think this is a a diaspora story. And Arrakis, it's like they're approaching differently and kind of trying to harness the actual power of this planet and like truly claim it, which is interesting. So maybe that's part of the ritualistic part.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I feel like I understand it a lot better now.
2: Alright. <laughs>
0: <laughs> then we get this fourth chapter, uh which is Jessica in the South. So is getting in trouble, creeping out the Fremen, touching babies.
2: <laughs> She's majorly creeping out the Fremen. And for a good reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Touching babies, taking their cries.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's creepy. When like, she touched if- them,
2: she was like, I was drawn. I was just drawn by his energy. <laughs> his <Yeah>. life force. <laughs> Can yeah. you
0: imagine? Like, first of all, there's this, like, toddler who should not even really be able to fully talk. Like, yeah. runs into your birthing room and <laughs> grabs your baby. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, and they're just supposed to be like, oh okay thank you
0: <laughs> <laughs> the baby just stops crying <laughs>
2: like, yeah like, Okay, you can put him thank you good job wow you held him awesome
0: I also I really like how they point out like the reason that that's unsettling other than the like just the witchy nature of it is the fact that oh this is the baby's time to cry like right. let the baby cry because they are going to have to not cry the rest of their lives yeah that's why just steal how their cries
2: she was like, I made him happy. <laughs> I gave him a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say that, okay, again, I was like really into all the quotes of this one, but control the coinage and the courts, let the rabble have the rest. That's, mm-hmm. pretty, that's pretty intense too. Yeah, so this is a lot of Jessica, Aaliyah, and... Hara. Hara.
0: Yeah, because Hara comes in and is essentially just like, Ugh, Aaliyah is at it again. <laughs> yeah.
2: She's like that girl is driving me nuts, <laughs> but she loves her. Yeah,
0: yeah. exactly. That's what. That's, that's the one sweet. thing I wrote. was like I think Hara is like almost kind of like a second mother to to oh, totally. Aaliyah. It's really a sweet relationship they have, and that's why like she puts up these like
2: weirdnesses, s-
0: snaps that that Aaliyah always doing, like dissing Hara all the time. <laughs> I
2: know. Well, she says later that that's why she doesn't get mad at her because she, uh, well, because Aaliyah basically is like, you're my, you're my brother's, um, war trophy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And She's like, bitch. Uh, yeah. What?
0: <laughs> but she's like, I know she, she doesn't mean it with any malice. She's not like, she doesn't hate me or anything. She loves me. Yeah.
2: I did like at the beginning, um, Jessica's like handed a cup of coffee the moment she wants one. Mm -hmm. And she's like, she describes how because everybody's on Spice, they have this like low level awareness of what everybody needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And they're all kind of accidentally sometimes enter one consciousness. (laughs) 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 Sounds chill as hell. (laughs) (laughs) But I wonder if Jessica ever makes the coffee, you know?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like Jessica's really a makes-makes-her-own-coffee kind of gal.
2: But she's reverend mothering. I mean, that's another journey, right. basically.
0: Yeah, this chapter, like, made me, like, really warm to Hara. Uh, I like that she's, like, even, like, sticks up for her. She's, like, because Aaliyah's, like, I'm a freak, just like Paul was. I
2: know. I can't believe they both screamed to their mothers, I'm a freak.
0: Right. <laughs> I'm a freak. Well, well, do you think that Aaliyah saw that moment
2: through Jessica? Yeah. I mean, Aaliyah really kind of is a freak. Just like Paul. Yeah. But it is nice that Hara is immediately like, no, you're not. I love you. You're a wonderful child and you're sweet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Jessica is kind of like, yes, I guess you are kind of freaky.
0: And then Aaliyah kind of, like, speaks up for Hara, too.
2: Right. Mm. Well, she sa- she basically kind of just says what Hara could do for them. Mm-hmm. She says, like, we need Hara. Yeah. Right. Because Hara can sort of translate the strangeness of Aaliyah to the rest of the Fremen who want to exorcise her of demons. Which I get. I don't like it when kids can speak that well. We'll see if this... probably not but I have a friend who she didn't speak until she was like four years old and then just started speaking in complete sentences and I just think that's so funny (laughs) yeah that would
0: freak me out yeah and I
2: think the first her mom like so since she didn't talk she would just like push her around Central Park all the time just talk 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 and then one time the first sentence she said was mom you talk a lot (laughs) (laughs) She turns to her, like, so serious. Ew, it would creep me out. I'd want it exercised, too.
0: And Aaliyah's first words were, I love you, Hara. That's sweet.
2: That's really sweet. I love the idea of a
1: two-year-old running around and, like, laughing at everyone's dirty jokes. Like, she gets them. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's so cute. She just has her her hand on her stomach. She's just pointing, like laughing with everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> all the men kind of look around. And they're like, hmm, "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> this girl is all right."
0: <laughs> so then we get the messenger, Tharther, Tharther,
2: uh huh, Tharthur?
0: Tharther. Uh-huh. She comes in.
2: <laughs> that was kind of his laziest name. He was like Arthur, yeah. but with a th. <laughs> yeah, <they have>
0: <laughs> So she comes in and and warns Jessica that she's heard that the Fremen are going to push Paul to challenge Stilgar after he rides the worm. Yeah. Because it's expected of him, and that he'll be seen as weak if he doesn't. Because that's just the Fremen way.
2: I know this made me sad because I was like, right. This, the time has come. Like, what is Stilgar's purpose right now?
0: And then we find out that Tharthur and Hara are both going to marry Stilgar, or Tharthur is already married to Stilgar. She's one of his wives, and Hara uh-huh. is going to marry Stilgar. <laughs> Stilgar's—he's is... the man. Yeah, he just taken lots of wives. He like had that conversation with Paul, where he's like, "So you can take her as your wife or as your helper." Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can set her free, and it seems like a couple years go by, and then he's like, "So you gonna? Because if you're not, I'm gonna." Like...
2: <laughs> 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 oh, Tahera. Yeah. yeah, he's like, "Yeah, you know, you had that option. Do you remember them? Uh, I mean, there were a bunch of options. I'm not sure. <laughs> there's, I, I get it. There's a lot of information. Uh, so, so just to refresh, um, <laughs> hey, you could set her free, and we can make a deal." think about it no I'm not gonna you know I don't need a decision today just
0: (laughs) before the war before the war
2: before the war yeah uh, the other the only other thing that I thought was interesting was this like story that they all tell one at a time about uh, the murder of Mm. Fremen I think it was probably by her soldiers like it might have been And they kind of each tell it, and then Hara ends it with, we will never forgive and we will never forget, which I thought was really interesting, pretty good. Aliyah and Jessica are pretty well versed in this. Sort of a uniting, like, how we will come together to defeat those who have wronged us.
1: Yeah, don't they say something, too, about, like, keeping their grief fresh? Yeah, Like, this is, like, a ritual that they do this time of day or something?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Which... It's really powerful, I thought.
1: Yeah. They're, like, recounting, like, a massacre that happened on Bella Tegus. Is that how you say that? Uh
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I suppose this was, you know, one of the things that pushed them off of that planet.
1: Yeah. It's kind of cool because you get to see sort of, like, what their, like, a little picture of, like, what their world was like before they became homeless or whatever. Oh, that's right. Because they say
0: it was Ramadan.
1: Yeah, right. It was Ramadan, and they talk about a fountain, and they talk about baklava, baklava,
0: mishmish. Oh, yeah. like
1: they were all sort of settled. Yeah, it sounds like they're mm-hmm. having like a like a really cool party uh-huh. with lots yes. of water.
2: I know Hara's like description of the whole thing was quite lovely. What it reminded me of is like a call to prayer, <laughs> where they were there's you know sort of a sound, and then they're all meant to recall this moment.
0: Yeah, it's a really cool moment. I also just looked up the definition of porty goals and Uh it just says oranges
2: oh (laughs) (laughs) so annoying (laughs) yeah and so then the last thing is that jessica and hara start to kind of talk about chani Mm -hmm. Chani issue Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
0: and she says she feels bad for chani and then hara kind of like comes to you know chani's defense again and is like well, you have an ally in Shawnee because all Charlie Johnny wants is the, what's best for Paul.
2: Mm-hmm. And then Jessica starts to try to like confide in Hara, and she's like, mm, "Well, your rugs are dirty. You have too many people in here, <laughs> or something." <laughs> See, I
0: read that twice. Yes, c- two completely different ways. Okay. The first way, the first way I know is wrong. The what first way, the first way was I thought she was like people. People are listening. There might be spies. Don't don't talk about whatever you're talking about right now. Let's change the subject. Oh. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's wrong. The second way I read it was, Oh, Jessica's about to cry. Change the subject. I don't want to, like, make her cry. Because she gets, like, a lump in her throat.
2: Yes. Okay. I like both of those. What do you think she was going to say? I suppose she could be no good wife to him, or she could be no help. To... I don't know. Why does she cut her off? I Yeah. I don't know. That doesn't
1: necessarily fit with, like, saying Chani's very dear to me. Although, I guess she could be like, Chani's
2: very dear to me. Right. Well, that's what she essentially was. But she says, it does say
0: that there's this tightening in her throat, which right. makes it sound like she's, like, getting yeah. sad, choked
1: yeah, up.
2: Yeah, like, it's more like, Chani's very dear to me. Yeah. I think it's, like, same, the same of Jessica's, like, complicated relationship with Chani. And maybe Chani represents to her, like, the abandonment of the Kaladin dream.
1: Well I just feel like
2: Chani and Jessica are really
1: similar in that Jessica was a concubine you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She wanted but in, in every other respect she was like a wife but she never really had that that final
2: mark I guess or like the like concreteness. Yeah. Right.
0: And it's almost like Jessica doesn't want her to have to be able to be Paul's wife because she's like I never got that.
1: Mm. And uh-huh. it's like a
0: jealousy thing.
1: Could be. Or maybe it's, like, part of how Jessica accepted her position as a concubine Mm -hmm. is an understanding that Leto was keeping the wife position open for a political alliance. Mm -hmm. And so that's why she's like, well, why doesn't Chani, like, get it that this is why she shouldn't be Paul's wife?
2: Yeah, she'd have to, like, totally go back on her own worldview or sort of feel a little embittered because... She didn't get that opportunity. Yeah, it's going to require some adjustment on her part. But then Hara... Yeah, Hara just doesn't... I think Hara just doesn't want to get into all that. <laughs> She's just <laughs> like, you know what? Uh, let's just talk about, you know, the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And
0: how your your rugs are dirty.
2: Your rugs are <laughs> really dirty. And
0: <laughs> and I'm like, wouldn't they be? I feel like in a sitch, the, there's just dirt everywhere. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. It's just like... Caves, right? Built into a town.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. It also feels like, in some ways, she's like... You know, it's your as your position as Reverend Mother, your rug should be kept clean for you. Like, someone should be doing this more often. Mm. And it's... I don't know. It's like she's kind of, like, reverting back to this sort of, like... I don't know. Like, almost like she's bringing up their statuses, their differences yes. in status. And it's also, like in a way also a very familiar thing to say where she's just ending a conversation but she's also kind of like i've said my piece you don't Mm -hmm. need to respond
2: no she does assert her status very quickly with that where it's like i i'm not the appropriate this isn't an appropriate conversation for us to have in a way Mm -hmm. like let's just get back to you're the reverend mother i'm not your friend exactly or confidant
1: yeah, like maybe it's kind of like how Jessica, after her cup of coffee appears, she uh-huh. like makes some remark about how
2: much her privacy and respect is respected. Uh huh. Interesting. Does kind of yeah assert what what the Reverend Mo- Mother's role is in the in the vill- uh, like in the sitch? I know. I thought all these chapters were pretty interesting. They're so nuanced, really. Any final thoughts?
0: No, I'm just excited to see Paul ride that worm.
2: <laughs> I, Hell yeah. I feel, a
0: little, I feel a little ripped off that we only went this far.
2: <laughs> On that, I I think the line that we should read, unless, Naomi, you have a, a a particular send-off you'd like to do. No, no. Okay. Well, I was thinking that when Paul says, I am a sand rider. <laughs> <laughs> Be cool. <laughs> so we all
0: say, "I am the sand writer" at the same time.
2: Mm-hmm. I am a sand writer.
0: Yeah, we can do it. Okay.
2: Do, what we, do you think? Do we yell it? <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. It like if like imagine that like there's a sandstorm and like a, a worm is coming up and you have to just like this is you're scared and so you have to assert that you're fine by yelling this. Yeah.
0: Okay, so now we do the awkward thing where we talk about what, like, cadence we're going to use. <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> Is this, like, Is a it, fake it? To the- I
0: am a sand writer! <laughs> <laughs> yes! Okay. Okay, before we do it, yes. let's just let our readers, listeners, oh, yeah, listeners wait, wait, that wait, our readers next. know that we're going to read the next <laughs> four chapters.
2: Do we want to talk about the, or say the earlong quote? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: so the, the we'll end on the chapter that has the Irulan quote that starts with, and it comes to pass into the third year of the Desert War.
2: Cool. And I just want to say, Naomi, I really loved your insights. I yeah. Like you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It was, Thank you um, for joining us. It was very stimulating to
1: talk to y'all. Spice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Until next time.
1: I I am a a sand
0: rider! I think that's as good as we're gonna do.